I'm Dustin Drake. I'm one of the elders here at Calvary Bible Church, and I'll be reading our scripture this morning, reading from the New American Standard Version 1995 edition. And if you would, turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 5, and then if you flip over to chapter 12, we're going to read verses 13 and 14. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, Vanities of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. All the sun also the sun rises and the sun sets and hastens to its place. It rises there again. Chapter 12. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is... Fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether good or evil. I'll direct your attention to our screen. We're going to watch a little video from the Bible Project about Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes. It's part of the Bible's wisdom literature, and it opens with this line. The words of Kohelet. The son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now in Hebrew, the word Kohelet means someone who has gathered people together. And in this case, it's to learn. So it's often translated in English as teacher. And the teacher is said to be a son or a descendant of King David. And so there are different views about who this figure might have been. Many think that it refers to King Solomon. Others to maybe one of the later kings of David's line. And still others think that it's actually a later Israelite teacher who has adopted a Solomon-like persona as a teaching aid. Whichever of these views is correct, the key thing is to recognize that the teacher is a character in the book and is different than the author of the book, who remains anonymous. So we do hear the teacher's voice for most of the book, but it's actually a different voice, the author, who introduces us to the teacher in the first sentence and then at the end concludes the book by summarizing and evaluating everything the teacher just said. So the author is someone who wants us to hear all that the teacher has to say and then help us process it and form our own conclusion. So what does the teacher have to say? Well, the author summarizes the teacher's basic message at the beginning and right at the end. And it's Hevel. Hevel. Everything is utterly Hevel. Now, most English Bibles translate this word hevel as meaningless, but that doesn't quite capture the heart of the idea. In Hebrew, hevel literally means vapor or smoke, and the teacher uses this word 38 times in the book as a metaphor to describe how life is, first of all, temporary or fleeting, like a wisp of smoke, but secondly, also how life is an enigma or a paradox. Like smoke, it appears solid, but when you try and grab onto it, there's nothing there. So there's so much beauty or goodness in the world, but just when you're enjoying it, tragedy strikes and it all seems to blow away. Or we all have a strong sense of justice, but all the time bad things happen to good people. So life is constantly, it's unpredictable, it's unstable, or in the teacher's words, like chasing after the wind. Hevel. Now that's kind of a downer. So why is he saying all of this? The author's basic goal is to target all of the ways that we try to build meaning and purpose in our lives apart from God. And he lets the teacher deconstruct these. 
So the author thinks we spend most of our time investing energy and emotion in things that ultimately have no lasting meaning or significance. And he lets the teacher give us a hard lesson in reality. You can see this most clearly in the opening and closing poems, which focus first of all on time and then on death. So the teacher says, you can spend your whole life working and achieving because you think that makes your life meaningful. You should really stop and consider the march of time. For all of the human effort that takes place in the world, nothing really ever changes. So sure, we develop technology and we build nations that rise and fall, but go climb a mountain and see if it cares. It was there long before any of us, and it will be here long after. I mean, no one's even going to remember you or anything you did a hundred years from now, but that mountain, it'll still be there. And the ocean will still be breaking on the beach, and the sun will still rise and set. And so time will eventually erase you and me and everything that we care about. And if that's not disheartening enough, the teacher also can't stop talking about death all the way through the book, but especially in this poem near the end. He says, death is the great equalizer, and it renders meaningless most of our daily activities. It devours the wise and the fool, the rich and the poor, no matter who you are, what you've done, good or bad, we're all going to die, and it's inescapable. So with these two ideas in hand, the teacher goes on to consider all the activities and false hopes that we invest our lives in to find meaning and significance, like wealth or career or social status or pleasure. So you think working hard is going to make life worth it? Think about the stress and the toll that that takes on you, all the anxiety and the sleepless nights. And by the time you actually earn some wealth, you're going to be too old to enjoy it anyway. And then by the time that you have to pass it on to someone, they may not even be someone who cares about anything that you did. Or maybe you think pleasure is going to make life worth it for you. Go for it. You know, live for your vacations. Live for the weekend party. Monday always comes. Hevel, hevel. Everything is utterly hevel. So what does the teacher advocate, then? That we become pure hedonists or relativists? Well, no, that would be hevel, too. The teacher acknowledges the ideas from Proverbs that living by wisdom and the fear of the Lord, that these have real advantages. On the whole, life will probably go better for you. See, but the problem is that even living by wisdom and the fear of the Lord, they're hevel, too, because they don't guarantee a good life. Good people die tragically, and horrible people live long and prosper. There's just too many exceptions. And so even wisdom is a hevel. Again, not meaningless, but an enigma. Wisdom doesn't work the way you think it should all of the time. So what's the way forward in the midst of all this hevel? And here, paradoxically, the teacher discovers the key to the true enjoyment of life under the sun. It's accepting hevel. It's acknowledging that everything in your life is totally out of your control. About six different times at some of the bleakest moments in his monologue, the teacher talks about the gift of God, which is the enjoyment of simple, good things in life, like friendship or family, a good meal or a sunny day. You can't control these things. You're certainly not guaranteed them, but that's their beauty. When I come to adopt a posture of total trust in God, it frees me to simply enjoy my life as I actually experience it, not as I think it ought to be, because even my expectations about what life ought to be are ultimately hevel, hevel. Everything under the sun is utterly hevel.
And so the teacher's words come to a close. Right here at the end, the author speaks up again, and he brings it all to a conclusion. He says, the teacher's words are very important for us to hear. He likens them to a shepherd's staff with a goad, a pointy end, which might hurt when it pokes you, but he says the teacher is trying to poke you to get you to move in the right direction towards greater wisdom. The author then warns us that you can actually take the teacher's words too far, and you could spend your whole life buried in books trying to answer life's existential puzzles. Don't try, he says. You'll never get there. And so instead, the author offers his own conclusion, and it's this. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of humans, for God will bring every deed into judgment, every hidden thing, whether good or evil. And so the author thinks it's good to let the teacher challenge your false hopes and remind you that time and death make most of life completely out of your control. But what gives life true meaning is the hope of God's judgment, the hope that one day God will clear away all of the hevel and bring true justice to our world. And it's that hope that should fuel a life of honesty and integrity before God, despite the fact that I remain puzzled by most of life's mysteries. And that's the wisdom of the book of Ecclesiastes. You all depressed yet? <laughs> um, I've, been, I've been meditating, and I'm going to say this here in just a few minutes, but I've been meditating on the book of Ecclesiastes probably for the last three months, and we, we read into the text. I'm going to just say something. We read into the text pessimism and despair. But in all honesty, it is the complete opposite that when we actually embrace reality, we have freedom from the hevel in our lives. So that's really the message of the book of Ecclesiastes. And as the video was going on, my wife was uh, elbowing me. So I guess I need to lighten up a little bit in life. But uh, Well, good morning. Thank you for being here. Oh, by the way, it is Happy Father's Day as well. At least I acknowledge that this morning. Uh, but today we begin the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you notice here, while the video was going on, I was stretching a little bit because I really am pretty excited about it. And I'm, we would say uh, stoked would be another word. Uh, when I was 15, I used to say that. And I learned that from California and going surfing. Um, but really... If I'm just really honest, the Byron, non, the non-preacher guy, the, the Byron, the, the dude, the guy that's up here, just the human being, there is, just in full disclosure, there is no book I've ever taught or preached that has changed my life prior to teaching it more than the book of Ecclesiastes. Because the book of Ecclesiastes just talks about real life. That real life is Vanity. We disappear. For example, how many of you knew your grandparents' names? How many of you know your grandparents' grandparents' names? I got three. Okay, that proves right then and there that life is just vanity. And let's just embrace it. Let's embrace reality. Because when we do, then we can truly have a life well lived. So that is kind of the message. So I invite you to come with me into the book of Ecclesiastes. Today's opening sermon is going to be 
the most important ser- sermon of the whole series. And because really what I'm going to do today is introduce the theme and then also the five principles that really help us live out that theme. Today's going to be the most important. And then next Sunday morning, I'm going to introduce kind of the background, the author, the time, the occasion, all that, the genre, the outline, all that extensive, really nerdy stuff. So if you're like kind of nerdy like me, you might want to make sure you come next week also. And then, once I'm going to do a part one and part two of the introduction, we're just going to kind of walk just exegetically, expositionally, verse by verse through the whole book of the Bible. But if I'm honest with you, as I've already kind of um, foreshadowed, the book of Ecclesiastes uh, just gets a bad rap. It just gets a bad rap. Because people find it to be pessimistic and depressing But it is the opposite in every respect. When you read the book of Ecclesiastes, set aside the initial impressions of pessimism and just read it like it is. Because it's just real life. And when you read it for what it truly is, it gives you freedom. It pops your delusions of grandeur. It makes you see life as it is. Can I make you depressed right here and now? You will die. Amen? No one, my dad used to say, no one gets out alive, okay? It's just the truth. That's why we need Jesus. And that's why the Bible is confirmed to be true. Because death is a consequence of our sin, amen? That the Bible explains all of life so thoroughly. You will die. Life is short. Amen? Just embrace it. Alright, man, I'm on, I'm on a tear this morning. Okay. Um, <laughs> so you didn't know what you were getting. I've been a pent-up aggression for a month while I've been in my bed with COVID. But I, I don't find this book to be very pessimistic. I actually find it to be realistic and really pragmatic. What I mean by pragmatic, it is pragmatic means that you're a realist plus you're an optimist. In fact, the Jews really didn't care for this book. Along with the Song of Solomon, they felt like this was a questionable book in the canon because this book in particular was too hedonistic. And it is hedonistic. It is, in a way, God's hedonism. And I know what that means, and you can go look it up. We, we think of God, can I just say something? We think of this false view of God, that God is this crotchety old man that tells you not to walk on his lawn, okay? That is our picture of God, but that is not God in reality. God is a God that wants us to have a great life. Can I get an amen? He wants you to have a great life, not just above the sun, but also under the sun, as it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, in this world, in reality land, in your 80 years of life, God wants you to have a great life. Can I get an amen? That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. The whole theme, and I'll explain this here more in just, the whole theme of the book of Ecclesiastes is how to live a great life. And the, the, the preacher and the author, the two characters in the book, unfold for us five different principles to help us live a great life. God is not a stuffy old man. Okay? Why do I say that? Just think about science. If God were a stuffy old man, God would not have given us dopamine. 
I mean, I can go further all this if you really want me to. But, but we could talk about male, female, but moving on. But that's just God. He is not a stuffy old man. He wants us to enjoy life under the sun. Not to just focus on life above the sun. Can I just speak? We as Christians look at the world oftentimes and we're just so dreary and dark and depressing and the politics and all that. It's just so, it's such a mess out there. Amen. It really is such a mess. So what we do is we escape from reality land of life under the sun and we just think about life above the sun in heaven where things are peaceful. And that's great. But God wants you to live a great life under the sun. If your lungs have breath in them. Number one, that God has something for you to do. And number two, God wants you to enjoy your toil. So what is the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes? I've already kind of mentioned it to you. The theme is a life well lived. Really the whole goal of the book of Ecclesiastes is how to live a great life under the sun. You'll see that phrase, those three words, under the sun, repeated over and over and over again. And how do we live a great life, a life well lived? Well, we abide by these five principles that really summarize the entire book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm going to kind of unpack those just briefly. I know we have lunch at noon, so today... I'm just going to merely, I I literally had, I think, an elder who saw these five principles, and he says, "Um, uh, this is one sermon, dude. Um, And and I said, yes, I'm just introducing these five principles. And really, I'm just introducing them, but as, what's amazing about the book of Ecclesiastes, I've read this book at least 50 times in the last three months, just absorbing the book of Ecclesiastes. And what's amazing about this book is that all of the passages in the, in the book, the 12 chapters, either directly or indirectly describe one of those five principles. So every passage either directly expands one of those five principles. And the five principles that we, I really see in the book of Ecclesiastes for a life well lived is in your notes as well. Principle number one is that life is short. Now, why do you say that causes me to have a great life? I'll explain that in just a minute. It is a little bit depressing, but it's just true. Everybody over the age of 40, can I get an amen that life is short? I mean, I'm 37. I'm not quite 40. And I'm looking back and how in the world did I turn 37? Life is just short. Principle number two is that life is unfair. Can I get an amen to that one? Life is just unfair. Embrace it. Principle number three is to enjoy God's blessings. To eat, drink, and be merry. That phrase is used six times in 12 chapters. That's why the Jews felt it was too hedonistic. It was too pleasurable. Because we are to eat, drink, and be merry. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Rejoice in your toil at your work that you probably hate. Find a way to enjoy it because life is short. Principle number four is to fear God. And principle number five is to keep His commandments. So I'm going to talk about principle number one, that life is short. Can you just say that after me? Life is short. Can I get an amen? You know, as a young person, I'm under the age of 40, and I'm probably having a midlife crisis here soon, so if I roll up in a Ferrari, just, just forgive me. Um, I, I don't, as a young person, I don't believe this. I don't believe that life is short. Because life to a young person is 
long. When I was in high school, I remember at Grissom High School, 10th grade year, I remember saying to myself that, you know, I'll get serious about God when I have a family. Anybody else say that? What what am I saying? I'm going to put off God for about another 10 years, and the Lord had other ideas on that respect. But as young people, we say, well, I have until next year to finish college, or I have until next year to have kids, or I want to wait till I have kids till I have 30, or I want to wait to save for retirement at 37, or I'm a multimillionaire, but I just don't quite have enough, or whatever it is. We keep putting off life, but what does the book of Ecclesiastes say? It's telling you that life is short. Just embrace it. And because life is short, enjoy what God has given you, whether it's a lot or whether it's a little. Enjoy what God has blessed you with. Your life is short. Can I just speak? Let us stop wasting our life on video games, on movies, television, monotony, Vanity, meaningless stuff. If you really want to know how you waste your life, okay, all you have to, this is a really uh, uplifting, encouraging sermon, okay, all right, so it's just the truth, sorry if you're looking very encouraging, I just, I'm here at Calvary Bible Church, I preach truth, and sometimes it's encouraging, sometimes it's not, and this is true. Okay, if you want to know how you waste your life, just go look at your iPhone. There's something called Productivity. You know, and it'll tell you how many hours you spend on the internet, and how many hours you watch movies, and how many hours you do this and that and this and that. We waste our life on so many vain and meaningless things, and that is me included. This is not me going like this. This is Guy Byron going like about 14 fingers back at me right now. We just waste our life. And the breath that God has given us into our lungs. And we, we pursue vain, meaningless things. Amen? Life is short, friends. You may die tomorrow. This is the truth. My dad died at 64. We had no idea he would die. Overnight, gone. At 64 years old. Life is short. That is the theme in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And we'll talk about this more in the coming weeks, but I just want to sample it for you. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, Hevel of Hevel. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work, which he does under the sun? That is the phrase again, for the first time. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Also, the sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to its place, it rises there again. Life is short. Can I just speak? Live for God today and not tomorrow, because you are not guaranteed tomorrow. Life is short. Embrace it. Behold it. Grab it. As I said, my dad died at 64. How many of you are older than 64 in the room? If you don't, if you don't want to feel comfortable with that. Sorry for being depressing. <laughs> okay. So, sorry for being morbid. We had no idea that he would escape from this earth overnight. Literally overnight. He was just gone. There were no signs. And him, and what's, a, what's crazy about my dad's story is that my dad socked away money after money from the age of 22 to the age of 65 
Yeah, did I say that right? 65, for 43 years, he socked away every money, all money out of every paycheck, and he invested it well. He put an S&P 500 index funds, by the way, and he just put money in and put money in, and he had a good nest egg, and he was one year away from retiring, and then he died. What a tragedy! That he never just enjoyed his toil. He never enjoyed what God had blessed him with. Don't do that. My wife is probably wanting to lasers at me right now. Okay. <laughs> Friends, life is short. You will die one day. I'm not here to necessarily encourage you. I'm just here to tell you the truth. Welcome to Calvary Bible Church. Before my dad died, he said that he wakes up every morning, stares in the mirror, and wonders who that old man is. What is he saying? That life has just passed him by. Life is short. Principle number two is that life is unfair. Can I get an amen again? Life is so unfair. Maybe you work at a dead-end job, and you despise that job and you work that job because you want to provide for your family but it is sucking the life out of you life is unfair maybe you're stuck at a dead end job and you work hard and you do a good job and your boss just keeps ignoring you for promotions or maybe you lost all your hair as in my case okay maybe you need to start working on some just for men because I'm going to early gray okay life is just unfair and that's okay it's okay. When we try to make life fair, what's that going to cause in our spirit? Bitterness and anger. Because we have this uh, enlightenment ide- ideology that I get what I deserve, that I can think hard enough and long enough to make my life great. But sometimes, friends, life is just unfair. I've known so many people in their 40s and 30s that get a terminal illness and die. It's just life is unfair. Let's just embrace it. Let's not run from it. Let's not ignore it. You're just going to grow bitter and angry if you do, if you ignore it. Life is just not fair. If you think about the Bible, one of the things I love about the Scripture, I love about the Scripture so many things, um, a super big Bible nerd preaching right now, um, is that the more I preach the Scripture, the more I realize that it is truth. Because you think about the themes throughout the Scripture. This theme is there whether we see it or not, that life is just simply unfair. What does it say again and again and again in the Psalms? The righteous perish and the wicked prosper. How many of you ever heard that one before? Right? Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Again and again and again and again and again. Throughout all the scripture, not just in the psalm, but in the book of Job, in Jesus' own life. Here's a perfect and righteous person that the people do not accept. And his disciples run at the very end. Life is simply just not fair. And that's okay. It's better to just acknowledge it and just embrace it. Because when you embrace that life is short and life is unfair, then principle number three will become a much greater reality in your life that you will enjoy God's blessings. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you're young or old, you will enjoy God's blessings when you see that life is unfair and life is short. Life is unfair is seen 
in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it's really all over the place. But verse 16, furthermore, I've seen under the sun, again, that phrase, that in the place of justice there is wickedness. Wait, what does he say? In the place of righteousness there is wickedness. I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time, for every matter and for every deed is there. I said to myself, concerning the sons of men, God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. Verse 19 of chapter 3, for the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath, and there is no advantage for man over beast, for all is vanity. My father died at 64 years old. That is unfair. My dad died a multimillionaire. It is unfair that he died a wealthy man. My father had an absentee father, World War II veteran, who faithfully served his nation. He was a workaholic and an emotionally dependent mother. That is unfair. My father was the smartest man I ever knew, yet he felt he never achieved enough. That is unfair. Three of my four children have seizures. That is unfair. They only have a 50-50 shot that they get the genetic mutation that causes seizures, and I got 75%. That is unfair. And One of my children, my two-year-old son, my firstborn son, died from it in the night, ten days before his second birthday. That is unfair. Amen? Life is just not right. And if we do not embrace that, we will grow bitter and resentful and hardened and nasty. Principle number three is to enjoy God's blessings because life is short, because it's not fair. So we should enjoy God's blessings. To be honest with you, one of the great tragedies of my father's life is that he did not enjoy God's blessings. He had, my dad had it all. It's amazing, my father, there was a story, and I know I've just settled my dad's estate, so I have a lot of father's stories today, and plus he's not on earth anymore, so I could talk about him. Okay, so anyways, um, hopefully you're okay. Uh, So anyways... Um, you know, I, I think about my father. One of the great tragedies of his life is that he scrimped and he saved, and he scrimped and he saved, and he scrimped and he saved, and he just never enjoyed what he had put aside. You know, and I think about my dad. He had five healthy, beautiful children. He's had 17 grandchildren. He died a multimillionaire. He was successful in every regard. And about two years before he died, he said, I just lived an average life. Friends, is that average? Are you crazy? But he couldn't get past that life is just unfair. He couldn't just enjoy his kids. He couldn't enjoy life. He was always focused on what he didn't have. Just embrace it. Enjoy God's blessings. This is what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18. Here's what I have seen to be good and fitting. To eat and to drink and to enjoy oneself in all one's labor. In which he toils under the sun. Again the phrase. During the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. 
For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. Enjoy God's blessings because life is short. My, my wife is great for me, and I, I, this is totally off script, and I'm sorry, Laura, if I'm embarrassing you. But my, my wife is elbowing me on the front pew while that video is going on because she realizes that I struggle with this one. Just to enjoy life. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a miser, okay? I'm like meticulous with my money, if you ever if you knew that about me, okay? I, I, don't, I don't spend anything. I, I, I would go to a thrift store and buy a threadbare t-shirt and have 20 million bucks in the bank or something. I, wear, I really would. But that's not biblical. That's not biblical. The Bible tells me to enjoy. It's, it's there. Eat, drink, and be merry. Enjoy your wealth. Enjoy your riches. What I just read. Enjoy. But, let us balance that out, okay, enjoy God's blessing, with keep his commandments. That the borrower is slave to the lender. So if you take out a big car note, you're not really completing this because you're not com- keeping his commandments. So I plan to enjoy my life, and I'll probably one day buy a car with cash. And don't be jealous with me, okay? So you see the preacher, the teacher, with these three principles. And then you see the last two principles given at the conclusion of the book in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. Notice it with me if you have your text. The conclusion when all has been heard is this. This is the author speaking. This is a different character. So the preacher or teacher is a character in the book, but then the author is another character outside of the book. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or whether it is evil. The author of the book concludes this book with these two principles, to fear God and to keep his commandments. I've met many young men and women in this world that do not fear God. They look like they're doing this part. They look like they're doing this part, perhaps a little too much. And I've known many people that, who do not fear God, they sin in private, not in public. Because they don't really fear the consequences of their sin. They don't fear the great, great white throne of judgment. They don't fear God. Can I just speak? We, we tone this down in, in church culture today because we don't like talking about fear because fear is horror movies or whatever else like that. But we should fear God. It's biblical. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. We should have a holy and righteous fear of God. Because that will govern our desires to keep our flesh in check. I've, there was this, um, when I was in the youth group, there was this young man that had it all. I mean, he, on the surface, kept his commandments, enjoyed God's blessings, life is short, life is unfair. He was super charismatic. He knew how to say the right things. He knew all the Sunday school answers, right? He knew how to appear to be the part. And behind the scenes, he was absolutely, totally reckless, I did not find out until years later that he was doing illegal things, vain things, things of the flesh. But all on the outside, he looked like he had it all together. That's why people who do not really fear God sin in private, not in public. 
But then principle number five is to keep God's commandments. Now this really, if I'm honest with you, this brings balance to it all. Because what, he's, what Solomon is really saying, the whole author of the entire book, he's telling you to enjoy God's blessings, but can I just speak, within God's parameters, keep his commandments. Right? The best life, your best life, a life well lived, is one that enjoys blessings, but lives within God's rules and commands that he gives us in Scripture. Amen? Young people in the room, this is true, that your best life, is when you keep His commandments, when you have a life well lived and you actually obey. If you question your parents and what they say to you, especially if you're a teenager, if you feel like they don't have your best interest, trust me, they do. When they tell you that, that sex should be within marriage, it should be. And that alone, that is for your best interest because it keeps God's commandments. It's just true. And I'm not your parent, so I can tell you that, okay? It's just true. Your best life, a life with the least amount of consequences, are the lives that keep God's commandments. Amen? That's just the truth. What are some commandments in the Scripture? I'm asking you today. I'm going to get you off of the sign line into the game. What are some commandments that God has given us to keep and to obey? Love God. Very good. What else? Love one another. Very good. What else? Make disciples. Good. No other gods before me. What else? Do nothing for selfishness or empty conceit. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. What else? What are some other commands? Come on. Come on. No other gods. What? Honor your father and mother. Very good. Okay. There you go. Teenagers and children in the room, please. And older people, by the way. It's the fruit. Yep. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Parents, do not exasperate your children. Got to work on that one. What other ones? <laughs> Brendan and I get into it. What? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Very good. Walk by the Spirit. What else? What are some other commands? What? Don't worry. Don't quench the Spirit. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. All these things will be added to you. What else? Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Him. What are some other commands? Do not steal. Good. Simple. Clear. Not rocket science. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not hate. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so you can be healed. Show tolerance to one another. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Tolerate one another. Put up with each other. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Those are all biblical commands. If you want to live a great life, the book of Ecclesiastes is clear. This is it. If I can put it in a nutshell, take this home with you. This is it. Every passage either directly or indirectly applies to one of these five principles. I made sure this week, just, just so I would be clear. Life is short. Life is unfair. So enjoy what God has given you. Enjoy your work, even though it drives you crazy. Amen? Even though you're bored or even though your boss is annoying. Okay? I've been there, man. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is really the balance of it all. 
that we can't enjoy God's blessings because they're not God's blessings if it's outside of His commandments. You can't enjoy the physical side of marriage outside of marriage because that is not keeping His commandments. Amen? This is the balance. What I, when I, when I, okay, I'm going to confess a story. I've been meditating on this over and over and over and over and over and over again. And my poor in-laws have been getting preached at for like weeks. And I'm sure they think I'm totally obnoxious. And I probably am. Um, I was, about two weeks ago when I had COVID, and um, I was just taking a shower. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just gave me absolute clarity that the scripture, these are the five things that the book of Ecclesiastes tells us that lead to a great life. And this is what I want you to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to walk away with a few applications. But before I do, I'm going to complete your notes. And I'm, I know I'm running out of time this morning. But what are the practical results of living for but not all five principles? If you have your notes, that is a part of your notes. Practical results of living for but not all five principles. Principle number one If you do not have principle number one, if you have all these but not number one, then you will be a time waster. You will play way too many video games because you believe that life is long. If you have all but principle number two, if you believe that life is supposed to be fair, you'll be sorely disappointed. But what is the result? You will be a tyrant. You will be a tyrant. You will become the old man that tells people to get off his lawn, okay? That's what you're going to become because you feel like you get what you deserve, but that is not what the Scripture teaches. Don't be mad at me. Be a mad at God. Principle number three is if you have all but principle number three, you'll be a legalist. How many? I'm not going to make you raise your hands. How many of you ever met a legalistic person? Yeah, thank you. I, I've been one at times. What are they always void of? Joy. Because why? They're not enjoying what God has blessed them with. You're a legalist. Because you're so worried about all the things that really just probably don't matter. All but principle number four is if you... Life is short, life is unfair, enjoy God's blessing, you keep His commandments, that's a little with principle number four, you'll be a wolf in sheep's clothing. You will sin in secret. And then principle number five, if you have all but keeping God's commandments, what I call you will be a mystic. You will walk around saying that you walk by the Spirit and then you have no idea what the Scripture actually says. I've met so many people like that. And I love messing with those people. It's fun. Um, and I'm saying, oh, where do you see that in Scripture? Oh, okay. For example, uh, I'll just give you a story. Hopefully he's not watching today. Um, I'm not going to say his name. But I had a friend one time. He went to McDonald's. This is, a true, this is a true story of a mystic. Okay, Someone who does them all except for keeping God's commandments. He went to McDonald's and he got a 10-piece meal. Okay? And he was kind of wrestling with where he should go on a mission trip later that year. And he opens up the 10-piece McNugget. And the first chicken nugget he picks up is in the shape of a boot. And he said that God wants him to go to Italy. Okay, right? And I'm like, uh, and, uh, okay. Now, God, 
if God can speak through a donkey, then God can speak through a chicken nugget. Um, but I but I find that challenging. Okay, okay. So okay, that's just I'm just saying, me can, but I don't see McDonald's in the Bible. Okay. What'd you say? They're they're all shaped like a chicken's foot. Okay. Before I close, I just want to kind of give you three assignments today. Hopefully, today wasn't too much. Uh, I just I just want to set the stage. You know, real life, pragmatic, not depressing and pessimistic. It's just true. That's the truth. That's what I wanted to say today. This week, I'm going to give you three three different assignments. They're on the back of your note sheet. And I'll wrap up because it's getting a little warm in here because it's hot and that's why I wear the polo. Assignment number one is this. I want you to put, put a person's name out beside each label, okay? The practical living. I'll give you all five if you didn't give it. Number one is a time waster. Number two is a tyrant. Number three is a legalist. Number four is a wolf. And then number five is a mystic. Those are your five. So what I want you to do is just this week sometime when you have a quiet time, you have devotion, I just want you to put a name of somebody you've known beside each of those categories because it will help you kind of understand the way those people are kind of wired. But then assignment number two is I want you to ask yourself the question, what do you have the tendency to be? Let's just have some self-evaluation, right? Self-examination. Let's be self-aware, please. Please, for my sake. Please, just have some self-awareness. It makes life so much more easy, so much easier. Um, just, well, who are you? What do you have a tendency to be? I'll just be honest. My, I have time waster. This guy right here, I look at my iPhone productivity. <laughs> it, is, uh, it is convicting because I waste time on movies and TV and just senseless stuff. So assignment number one, put a person's name. Then assignment number two is really who are you? And then assignment number three is this what I want you to do. I'm going to challenge you to read... The book of Ecclesiastes, every week, that while we're going through it's only 12 chapters. It will take you about 20 minutes to read a week. That's really not too hard. Just read it. And this week, what I want you to do is I want you to look at this. It should be on the back of your bulletin or in front of the bulletin. It should be in your note sheet. I want you to look at this, and I want you to kind of have your Bible here and then that sheet here. And as you read the scripture, I want you to say, that matches, that matches, that matches, that matches. Before I close, uh, real quickly... Uh, life under the sun is brutal. Can I get on? Amen. It's just brutal, especially when you don't know Jesus. Um, the book of Ecclesiastes, in a weird kind of way, and maybe not in a weird kind of way, points us to the cross because it reminds us of life above the sun. That life under the sun is depraved, it's darkened by sin, but a life above the sun is one of eternity, joy, eternal life, grace, mercy, a new heaven, a new earth, home. If you do not know Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He has come and He has died for you to pay for your sin, to restore you to Him, so you can experience life above the sun in heaven and not below the earth in hell. If you have more questions about Jesus Christ, if you have more questions about Calvary Bible Church, feel free to see me after the service, and I would love to speak with you. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's just real. And Lord, I love it. I mean, it's great. Um, let us not be in denial of the way life is under the sun. In reality land, in the 80 years that we have to live. Lord, I pray that we would just uh, 
enjoy life, the blessings that you have given to us while we fear you and while we keep what you tell us to do. Lord, I pray for those that are here, no matter their age, Lord, as long as their lungs have breath, I pray that they would see that they have a job to do for your kingdom and for your glory. We're never too young and never too old to glorify you. Thank you for Calvary Bible Church, and thank you for my family and just their support while I've been away. And uh, thank you for the men that have filled my shoes, and thank you for the staff, and thank you for all the women and men and all the people that just make this church go round and round. We lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.